Amen. Thank you. My, my standing before you is either the healthy part of me, which is that I want to, I love this community and I want to serve it well. That's the healthy part. The unhealthy part of me is the avoiding of my reality and my dogged determination to carry on regardless. So I'm hoping it's more healthy, but that remains to be seen. Um, as Dave said, I fell a couple of weeks ago while out dog walking. Um, early morning in the park, mud, blah, blah, blah. Um, the same dog actually that chewed on this Bible, so um, he's a delight altogether. Uh, I, I've fractured my radius and I've, I've done some damage to my shoulder, so um, I'm feeling my age, it has to be said, and my healing I think is reflected in that. Um, it'll take time. So I'm speaking this morning from Matthew 20, the parable of the vineyard workers, but I was at the hospital on Tuesday. Um, it was two weeks since my accident and I was there for a review and I went to the ED in the fracture clinic and I interacted with six members of staff, a receptionist, a consultant, two nurses, a radiographer and a final reception person. Um, and they were all brilliant, and they were all professional, and they all did their job really, really well. And I finished, and I, I went back to reception. I had to book myself in for four weeks, and so it's ED. So there's a big glass thing, and there's a wee hole in the glass about this size, and you poke your appointment card through, and you ask them to book you in for four weeks. And then she pokes it back out at you, and that's you done. And I was standing, and I was, I was a bit tired and a bit vulnerable. And she leaned over to the glass and she said to me, would you like me to come out and help you put your coat on? Because <laughs> I had my big puffer and with a short shoulder and a frack, you know, da-da. And I said, yes, please. And I watched her bing herself out of two doors and she came round into reception and she struggled me into my puffer and she zipped me up like I was a little kid. And she put her hand on my arm and she said, I hope the rest of your day is really good. And her compassion and her kindness to me in that moment continues to undo me. Because she saw me, she saw my physical vulnerability, she saw my emotional vulnerability and she responded to it. And I am quite sure she has not given me a second thought since Tuesday at half 11, but I have thought about her every day and I have spoken a blessing on her and her household because she moved me. I had to sit down and gather myself because when you encounter compassion, it does something to you. It is utterly sacred. Julian of Norwich, the first woman whose spiritual writings were documented in 1300, She's known for the all will be well, all will be well, and all shall be well quote. But another part of her teaching is that she says, every person that you meet, every encounter that you have, the Lord is asking you a question, and you need to focus on that question and answer it. And I think in that moment, that woman, the question I was posing to her was, do you see me? Do you see me? And she did, and she responded. And I will not forget her for that. And so today this parable is about the workers in the vineyard and that's how it's entitled. But I want us to look at it again and put on the lens of compassion 
and see where the compassion actually lies in this uh, parable because I think it's all over it. And I think that when we walk and choose compassion, we invite the Lord to be in every interaction that we have. The parables, as you well know, were prophesied in the Psalms, and I love that the story of God flows through and, and connects the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 78 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter the dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders which he has wrought. And Jesus, just earlier in chapter 13 of Matthew, when he's talking to the parables, all, Je all this Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. And parables are simply stories. They're not truths. They're not the truth. They are stories. And Jesus, he didn't tell us what I preach is the truth. He didn't say everything that is written in this book is the truth. What he said was, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so everything that we believe about God and about faith, we have to understand in the light of the life of Jesus because he was the truth. And parables are open to interpretation and understanding, and that's what makes them brilliant. But Jesus, unlike many other teachers, including the, all down through the ages, he didn't start with facts. He starts with, once upon a time, there was a man. And he starts the story. He, the real truth of the story, I think, is that it points us not only back to ourselves, but back to him. So perhaps instead of focusing on the workers, which is what the parable is entitled, the parable of the vineyard workers, perhaps let's look at how they responded to a very generous master and how we can focus on his compassion and wonder what that tells us about the Lord. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, please go to Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. 
These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. And he replied to them, friend, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. And that's where the story ends. I think it's really interesting in terms of significance where this is placed. If we look just before this in chapter 19, verse 27, Peter's debating with the Lord and he says, we've left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? So Peter's wanting to check out what's going on here, Lord. And just after this parable, the mother of Zebedee's son, a nameless woman, I always wonder about that, but we don't get her name. But she was the mother of James and John, and she said to Jesus, so my boys, my boys have followed you all their days. What special privileges are you going to give them? She's been a tiger mom. We all know those. Probably I'm one myself. And She's wondering, well, what's going to be in it for my boys? They've given everything. Peter's asking him. So perhaps this parable, in a sense, is a very gentle rebuke from the Lord, saying it's not about that. You're not understanding kingdom economy. It is not about what you do. It is not about gain, gain, gain. And in this weird culture where we idolize success and self-reliance, Jesus is inviting us into his economy. Nothing is earned. Nothing is rewarded, and all is grace. So if you think about the, the cultural context, there's these men. Apparently, it still happens in the uh, country of Israel. People who are unemployed stand at gates and wait all day for work. What a humiliating and humbling thing to have to do, to stand all day hoping that someone is going to stop and offer you a day's work. It still happens around the Damascus Gate, apparently in East Jerusalem, on a daily basis. And people can wait all day, hopeful for employment. If we think about the denarius, apparently that was, it was a day's wage, it was very fair, and it would have fed a family for three to four days. So it was a significant enough piece of employment. So those men that came in the morning at the first light and stood all day, they didn't want to go home at five o'clock and say to their wives and their families, I haven't got anything, because that meant hunger and, and desperation for them. And the other thing that's really significant, I think, in this parable is that landowners, wealthy landowners, they had managers, they had foremen, because it's referenced in this story. So the landover, landowner was the big guy, the master. He had a foreman who went and sorted out the employment, who knew what he needed. And so if he was, you know, taking apart a vineyard, he knew how many men he needed. So this isn't poor management. This isn't about the manager saying, Flip, I've got it wrong, I need to go back and get a few more, and then I'll go back two hours later and get a few more. And I mean, at five o'clock, why would you employ anyone? By the time you do the health and safety stuff, the day's gone. You know, it's ridiculous. So that w it wasn't ever about poor management of the, the workers. This was about compassion. This was a master saying, I will go back 
again and again and again. I will go in the midday sun when no one goes out and I'll say to men, come, come to the vineyard, come work with me. Three hours later, three hours later, at the very last hour, he's found in the community saying, come, come, the work is for you. He could have been compassionate and said at five o'clock, I'll just give you the denarius. I'll just hand you the money because you're no use to me now. But that's not the kingdom economy. Compassion comes with respect and with justice. And so he said to them, come and do an hour's work and be paid like everyone else. This landowner, he invites and he returns, he invites and he returns. He is relentlessly pursuing those in need. And I believe that if we think about the compassion of this landowner, we are seeing the compassion of the Lord. That he keeps going. He is in relentless pursuit of his children. He is in relentless pursuit of us. Nothing holds you back. Nothing leaves you behind. There is grace and mercy and justice to be found in the work and in joining with the Lord. I think it's very interesting that at the end of the day, he could have made it easy for himself and paid the first ones and sent them on their way. And they would have been delighted because they would have got what they had agreed. But he didn't. He wanted them to learn. And I believe the Lord is wanting us to learn. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, when you come. The reward is the same. You are invited to partner with me. Jesus is teaching us a lesson here in utter generosity and utter compassion. He talks and he says, watch me learn from my life. Go and seek the disadvantage. Invite them all to the work. And this, I believe, is where Christ shows us his ways. He is deeply concerned for us all. He goes after us again and again and again. And he invites us into the story of his kingdom, which is justice and mercy and grace. We don't know what happens to the workers who are fed up. <laughs> the story just ends. Who knows, they could still have been moaning the next day. But perhaps, I love this summary message of, of this parable, which Kenneth Bailey talks about. He comes to us where we live, and he loves us as we are. He doesn't want us to stay that way, but he loves us as we are. So now I am going to give you all some time to dig in to some questions, which will come up here. Um, I'm hoping that at this stage in the weeks you're all getting a little comfortable in your groups and you can feel safe enough to share a little bit of your personal story. But I wondered would it be helpful for you to think about a personal story of when the compassion of one another brought you into a sacred moment. I hope you have many of those to talk about. But there's something about hearing personal stories that I think is very life-giving. The second question, what are the fruits of receiving the compassion of the Lord that you see in your life and in the life of this community? That was something Gillian and I were talking about this week. What are the fruits? What are the fruits? I hope that that provokes some thought and some challenge in you. Um, that when we receive the compassion of the Lord, we're not meant to hold it. It's not meant to just stop and make us feel good. 
We're meant to do something with it. It's meant to change us and transform us and sanctify us and make us more Christ-like. The last question is not for discussion today because I don't think it's appropriate. You'll never get the answer in a, a, a brief chat. But I think this week I would invite you that when you spend time with the Lord and when you work at the garden of your soul, which we all must do, we must do on a daily basis. This is a good question from the, the end of the chapter where Jesus says, or the master says, are you jealous of my generosity? And I would invite you this week to let that question sink into your bones. Are there things where you see the generosity of the Lord that actually, actually nip a bit at you? make you uncomfortable, make you frustrated. Who knows? But I would like you to sit with that question. I remember I, I first followed Jesus when I was 14, which is 42 years ago. And back then it was all about the afterlife. And so I was choosing this life as a teenager um, really because of what came after. So it meant that it was the 70s, so forgive me, but I wasn't allowed to well, alcohol wouldn't even have been in my thoughts. You didn't go to a disco. You certainly wouldn't have went to the cinema. Um, you didn't play any music on Sunday apart from sacred and on and on and on and on. And so when I read this, this parable, I felt a little bit angry because I thought, I'm taking the narrow road and those ones on the wide road and they'll come at the very last minute and they'll still get the prize. Now I'm owning that. That was when I was 14 and 16 and I thought, I probably would like to go to the cinema. But I've moved on from that very significantly, as any of you will know me. But, but what I'm saying is that even now, so I can forgive my 14-year-old self for those thoughts because actually there was probably some poor theology in all of that. But even now, perhaps if I'm really honest, sometimes I am a little bit jealous of the generosity of the Lord. Sometimes it provokes me in ways that I have to think about. Sometimes I have to repent of some attitudes or some heart thoughts. So I invite you to think about that this week and see where it takes you. I hope it takes you somewhere good.